0: This is the Men of Strength Podcast. The Men of Strength Podcast is presented by Elite FTS. Helping the strong become stronger since 1998. Visit them online at EliteFTS.com. Now, here's your host, Don Day.
1: Hi, guys. This is Donald Day, Men of Strength Podcast. Right here with me, I have Coach Scott Salzwasser, Director of Speed and Power at Texas Tech, and Coach Brett Huth from... University Incarnate World. He's the director of strength and conditioning with the football team over there. How are you guys doing? Doing great, Don. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Talking to you guys on a Monday morning, Monday afternoon, couldn't be better. Awesome,
0: man. I'm ready to
1: ready to get this thing going. <laughs> Me too. So how about you guys uh before we start off, you know, for those that don't know who you guys are, You know, one at a time, tell us a little bit about yourself, your journey, and kind of why you wanted to be strength coaches and how you got to the current position you're in right now.
0: You can kick us off, Scotty.
2: All right. So how I got to where I'm at right now, I played uh, football at UC Davis, um, which is at the time we were D2, but they're FCS now, and and they're actually killing it this year. They're like number six in the country or something. But anyway, played at UC Davis, and uh, we had a strength coach, at the time who was also a running backs coach and our special teams coach. So, I mean, he did the best he could, but he was just pulled in a lot of different directions. So there wasn't much supervision in the weight room. It was more like grab your card and go. So I kind of took it upon myself. Uh, I enjoyed preparing for the season and, and kind of took it upon myself to like take some of the younger guys under my wing. And, and I actually kind of had a makeshift group of guys that would make, meet me in the weight room. And I would, coach him up as we were doing the program, et cetera. So that was kind of honestly my first strength coaching that I did from there. uh, I went to the Oakland Raiders as an intern, which is kind of a unique first step in the profession. But uh, my high school strength coach uh, was interning for the Raiders when I was in high school. And then by the time I graduated college, he was a full-time assistant there. So he got me an unpaid internship there for a year Decided that that was what I wanted to do went to Sacramento State another FCS school G for a couple years um, And then full-time assistant for a couple years uh, Went to Louisiana Lafayette um, In the Sun Belt for two years spent one year um, At Sparta performance science uh, Which is a private sector they've kind of started to blow up lately with the force plates and everything but sparta uh, uh, once again a short stint with the Oakland Raiders um, and then Cal for four years. And this is my third year at Texas tech.
1: So you've been everywhere.
2: Not like some people, man, I've I've been kind of fortunate. I've I've been a lot of places. It just means that I'm getting older
1: uh, (laughs) is all all that it means. Coach Brett, how about you talk about your journey and the same thing, why you wanted to become a strength coach and how you got to where you're at right now.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So my tale is, similar to Scott's in that I played football at a small school in Cleveland, d uh, D3 team by the name of John Carroll University. Yeah, and you. the reason that I probably ultimately went to that place was when I was on my visit, I met um, a strength conditioning coach. His name is Jesse Ackerman. He's now the head strength coach of the Atlanta Falcons. And he sold me on his, his training plan on my recruiting trip. And I was always a weight room guy and, he started talking about the conjugate method and box squatting and dynamic effort and bands and chains. And, you know, the, the only thing that I had known in the weight room at that point was uh, bench squat clean. So that was kind of um, mind blowing to me to see uh, more of a science behind the training process. And uh, so that's how I ended up at, at John Carroll university. And, um, you know, shortly after being there, just kind of seeing um you know, Jesse do his thing and realizing that you can make a profession of this. Um, that's kind of what set me along that path. So, um, when I was finishing up playing at John Carroll, I interned at Kent state university for uh, my last, um, my last summer prior to coming into my last season of ball. And then that spring, uh, I was while well, student teaching at Euclid high school, I ran the, the high school program there in Euclid and was l- lucky enough to, uh, shoot enough um, intro emails out to different coaches across the country looking for a graduate assistantship to land a grad assistant job at the uh, University of Louisiana Monroe. was there for two years as a graduate assistant and one year uh, full-time in a coordinator position. I then uh, had a short stint at the University of Memphis. I was there um, as an associate director for exactly one year before – transitioning to Cal Berkeley, thanks to um, our buddy Scott there. He kind of got my name in the mix for the job there and spent three years at Cal Berkeley and 10 months at Rice University immediately following that. And then again, um, now my position at University of the Incident Word, I've been here since January and again uh Saul Wasser had a big part in me landing that position with his ties to uh the head ball coach as well so um obviously our our ties run deep there
1: now you guys have known each other for a long time and you did spend some time working together at Cal what's what's your favorite memory memory together at during your time at Cal well,
2: shut on, man. <laughs> I, I, I don't know man yeah. first, well f- first of all i i need to kind of screen it in my memory you know and, and make it pg <laughs> so that that rules out a lot of, out, like, a lot of things uh, I, I don't know man I, I
0: mean but mostly honestly what
2: i remember about brett is uh i used to always tell him that he was the best strength coach in the country under the age of 30, just uh, because I remember him every day, you know, bringing it, coaching his ass off, um, having presence, you know, having a great understanding of what we were trying to do, both in terms of culture and in terms of the science behind what we were doing and just uh, blew me away every single day on the floor, man. And uh, that that's honestly what I remember most about him and I think you're now 30 right so I can't say there you're won't. the best I can. yeah so you're not the best under 30 anymore uh, so uh but but that's that's honestly what I remember about Brett that and uh not being able to find sideline pants that fit him
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah well um i will definitely say that during our time at Cal like me and Saul we could sit there and and talk shop for days and talk about uh, doing things the right way, but at the very same time, uh, you know, we always enjoyed ourselves at work. That, was, that goes for our whole staff there. We had, we had a good group of guys that wanted to do things the right way and wanted to do it evidence-based but practical at the same time and um, no egos really got in the way. We just kind of always tried to put together the best program for success for the kids. So just being able to work side-by-side side with that guy daily, um, I think, you know, he made me he made me better and I made him better.
1: Iron sharpened iron. It was iron. a good time. That's awesome. That it's it's rare to find that that mold. Like when you get in that that group of guys where it's just, hey, we bounce off each other, we vibe off each other, I can tell you this, and no ego comes, or I can tell you that, and no arrogance comes from it. It's it's a rare find. So I'm glad you guys you guys got to find that and stuff like that during your time. You know, that's that's an awesome experience. No doubt.
0: No doubt. It was it was a good three years.
1: So now switching switching gears You know, when you're a young strength coach, I feel like there's always something that you you focus on. You're like, I have to learn this or I have to read that or I have to figure this out or figure this cue out. And you think it's like vital, like that's going to make you as a strength coach. But then when you're older, you're like, why did I spend so much time doing that? I wish I would have spent time doing Mm -hmm. something else or this wasn't that important. What's kind of that like light-clicking moment for you guys that you might have spent too much time in that you think – Looking back on it, I, I wasted a lot of time when I should have been doing this.
2: Well, I mean, for me, I, I can remember specifically sitting in front of an Excel spreadsheet programming and agonizing over, like, percentages and should it be 82%, should it be 85% and, and really lose, not seeing the forest for the trees, right? Because when we get out on the floor, it's going to be whatever we think, you know, looks best and, and stimulates the athlete optimally according to the goals of the training session. So, you know, a lot of times, like it's, it's not going to be exactly what it said on the piece of paper anyway, you know? So those days of being so obsessed with what it says on the paper, um you know that that's kind of what i see as a waste of time and not not to say obviously that you should that you don't have to be prepared obviously and and have you know have something down on paper that um that that is a good backbone of what you actually want to do on the floor you know but as you develop your coaching eye and you become more experienced i think uh, you know that that's really what I think back like, God, what, what was I doing? You know, just like staring at the screen, haggling over such <laughs> fine details that at the end of the day really, you, you know, really didn't make the difference uh, in in the success of the program as much as me coaching and motivating and, and the work that was actually getting
0: done. Yeah, that's definitely where the, the eye of the coach comes in, where you kind of have a, a script of how you want things to go be always have to take into consideration the the grand scheme of things and what you're trying to accomplish in that day and uh what that movement that means to an end is on that day what quality are you trying to train is it absolute strength or is it strength speed or speed strength and you you always have to take into consideration the state of the athlete at that given time their their uh, you know, their readiness per se compared to their preparedness but um i think that going off of scott and what he said um Another thing, you know, as a younger coach, you think you have to do everything, like everything you've ever seen from every book you've ever read, everything you, you know, you see someone else on YouTube doing this or Instagram doing that. And you think, oh, that's something that's missing in my program. Uh, I need to find a a place in the program for that. I need to do this mobility drill. Um, I need to do this uh, shoulder stability drill. I think um, as I've gotten older and wiser, I've come to the realization that, uh, less is more. And that uh, the, the, I guess the meat and potatoes of your program should always be consistent in some way, shape or form. You know, and that for me is, you know, I'm going to hinge, I'm going to squat, I'm going to push, I'm going to pull and I'm going to do derivatives of those. And, uh, what the means to an end of how I prescribe that is going to be based on the quality I'm trying to achieve at certain time of year. Um, so that's that's just kind of, uh, I guess, my my slice to the conversation, rolling off of what Scott said.
1: How how have you guys – so, like, taking all that, how have you guys been able to not pigeonhole yourself? Like you were saying you're going to push, you're going to pull, you're going to do a hinge, but you talk to some people and they're like, well, you know, we're going to do this. This is – we I Olympic lift, so this is what we're going to do. Or I'm a hit guy, so this is what we're going to do. There's yeah. no, like – I guess, deeper yeah. thought process to it. How do you avoid getting stuck in that pattern of I'm this type of guy or that type of guy? Cause I know both of you guys focus on, like you said, what the athlete needs, what he, you know, what he's prepared to handle kind yeah. of sports performance in a way, you know?
0: Well, I think um, the first thing that you take into consideration is that um, everything works, but not everything works all the time. And that's where having a toolbox and understanding, you know, what tools work, for specific qualities, again, specific qualities, you're trying to train specific times of the year. So a certain certain time of year, uh, you know, Olympic lifts um, on the more maximal side of the perspective to the uh, sub-maximal side of the perspective, they're both appropriate, but, again, it comes at a certain time of year. And, again, uh, you know, tools from powerlifting, bodybuilding, Olympic lifting, um, from more uh, – You know functional great cook crowd all these things um can have some value in your program as long as you can justify why it's there um Uh that's that's the biggest thing don't just put something there to put it there Mm -hmm. you know if there's something that you know you've seen maybe uh, a commonality on your injury report there's something you need to address in your training because you're not loading the tissue in a way to prepare the athlete for those stressors on the field that's something that you then look to integrate into your programming. Um, but to me, I, I think the the thought process of being a hit guy or a West Side to die guy or like, <laughs> a gale, gale Hatch only guy. Yeah, I think that's that's just kind of um, where the egos get in the way, as right. um, opposed to what's best for the kids and what's best for the program, what's best for the team. So,
2: right. I, I, I think you know <clears throat> what people forget is a lot of times is everything's interrelated, right? It's not like this is my speed program and this is my squat program and this is my conditioning program. Like everything affects everything, you know? So, I mean, a lot of times, uh, you know, I get, I might be on a podcast or at a convention and I'm there to talk about speed development because that's kind of lately what I'm known for. But the thing is, is I wouldn't be worth a crap getting guys faster, if I didn't understand strength development, if I didn't understand mobility, if I didn't understand energy system development, and if I didn't make my speed program dovetail with all those other programs, then like coach Brett said, I'd be doing a disservice to the athletes. So I think these days you can't hang your hat on one thing. You can't just um, we're going to be great at Olympic lifts, and and I don't I don't believe in this. I don't believe in that. Like that's not to say that you're going to be an expert in everything, mm-hmm. um, but you need to have a fundamental understanding of every aspect. In my opinion, not only of what we do as strength coaches, what's under our umbrella, but you need to have a fundamental understanding of what the ATCs are doing, what sports med is doing. You need to understand what the football coaches are doing. And the demands that they're placing on the players, not, not only from a training load perspective, but from a movement perspective, what what are the athletes being asked to do movement-wise? And I think being able to understand, having a, a holistic kind of comprehensive understanding of what's going on will ensure that each piece of your program um, fits together like a puzzle rather than, like I like to say sometimes, Frankenstein, right? Like, when right. you take this and that and the other and sew it all together and and you get you know you get what you get it's
0: got to all fit together yeah all those stressors are going in the same cup
1: yeah. yeah and coach brett you you said something that kind of struck with me you said you were talking about like injury commonalities and you have to look at it on the injury report when you when you see common injuries i guess at what point do you say all right maybe this is more my program than maybe let me look at the program and see where i can adjust versus okay, maybe this is a freak injury, maybe this is this. When do you, How do you dissect that injury report? You know what I mean? Like what's the thought process behind that and making a change?
0: Well, I mean, nothing happens in a vacuum. That's the first thing that has to be said. So you can't automatically jump off the cliff and say, you know, this has to go or this needs to be there. I think you kind of have to, you know, put together some norms, look at, um, you know, really collect data over the course of a year, no matter what we're talking about here, but there should never be any wholesale changes. There's just um, small adjustments, whether it's um, reductions or increases in uh, volume or load or um, just plugging in maybe maybe some movement quality stuff prior to loading the tissue. Um, I never never want to back myself into a corner and completely throw something out the window Um, just because something's popping up on the injury report. Mm -hmm. Um, So to me, again, it's, you know, don't don't let your ego get in the way just because you've always done things a certain way or someone else that you were under did things a certain way and you want to do things because it worked for them at that school. Um, Do what's best for the kids and what's best for the team you're working for to have success.
1: Mm -hmm. I think that's really hard for people to do. Like sometimes it's hard to – step out of that comfort zone you know you just it's more comfortable just to do what you've been doing you know versus this is the team i have this is what we need to train for for the team that i have not for the team that i had or the team i might have or where they might be at or something like that now you would say uh, i guess kind of something that i've been thinking about like I listen to a lot of podcasts from, like, Louis Simmons and, you know, uh, uh, what's his name over at Arizona, Arizona uh, Buddy Morris. I can't believe I forgot that. But uh, I, he always talks about, like, over-volumization and people not being prepared. And you guys are both kind of hitting on, you know, the preparedness of your athlete. Can you kind of go more into that? In what yeah. respect? As far as prepared, like, how do you prepare your, make sure your guys are prepared for training or prepared for what you're about to put them through.
2: So I I guess the the thing that I want to preface this with too, is that we're really preparing them for football practice. Because if you look at, you know, and I don't want to get myself in trouble here, but if you look at football practice, a lot of times it doesn't really look like a football game. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of it's the volume is way higher and some of the things that they're doing in practice, um, may not necessarily be, um, what you see in a game. That's why you see, um, a lot of these incidents that, you know, are are controversial now athletes falling out and, and even athletes sometimes, um, going to the hospital, et cetera, always usually take place in a practice Setting um, and and rarely do they happen during a game because in a game you actually are only spending like 20 minutes I think it is actually playing football. The rest of the time you're standing around or you're on the sideline meeting with your coach. You know, so really what we're getting them ready for is football practice. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where a lot of your GPS, um, heart rate monitoring, your GPS. Uh, monitoring can, can really give you the numbers behind what's actually taking place at practice, and um, that, that's kind of a good guideline volume-wise and, and intensity-wise um, that can guide your your preparation program. So I think that's that's my big point I want to make is we're, we need to look at practice because the other thing is, is that they're going to football practice for a month before they're going to play a game. You know, so you may have gotten them ready for a game, but, but by the time they actually play a game, the big stimulus that they've had is what they've been doing in
0: training camp. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I'm going to play off of that. Um, 100% agree with what Scott is saying. They're using GPS um, or heart rate or, you know, whatever means to end you have. But um, I think one thing that's really missed with the utilization of GPS is, how you prescribe preparation for sport practice where, again, you're, you're preparing them for camp. Training camp will always be their biggest stressor of the year. There's no other time of the year where they come back day after day without an and in the, the practice load. It's, you know, it's go hard day in, day out. And you need to do your part as a coach to make sure that that stressor isn't a new stressor so they can recover from it and come back the next day. So, um, you know, for me at uh, UIW, I've I don't have the same resources that I had at Cal Berkeley, but we um, we run a very similar offense with a very similar practice script. So I have some <clears throat> commonalities in terms of the um, the training loads that we we're put on the kids by certain position groups, uh, based off some rolling averages of um, high velocity yardage, sprint yardage, so on and so forth. To me. Instead of just always using that information as a way to pull the athletes or inhibit the athletes in practice, use it as a way also to prescribe and or and or periodize your training leading up into training camp. If, if you know that um, your receivers are going to be sprinting a specific amount of yardage day in and day out of practice, you better make sure that coming into training camp, they're prepared for that otherwise that brand new stressor isn't something they're going to be able to recover from in one day and that's where you're going to start to see that injury report catch up to you um, <laughs> with you know fatigue related um, injuries from soft tissues to non-contacts. I like Absolutely the I mean the, the the research is
2: pretty conclusive that, that acute relative to chronic uh, load ratio is the biggest predictor of injuries so I mean I, I completely agree with what coach brett is saying i mean you've got to make it so that that transition is as smooth as possible
1: i like that a lot sorry for the pauses i'm writing down these notes i'm trying to learn while i'm asking questions myself no doubt now a lot of that like this this, my next question is gonna kind of hit on sports specificity but you guys talked about you know in preparation preparing them for kind of the biggest stressor that they're going to go through during the year which is camp and making sure they're able to handle that stressor where does the term well first what is the term sports specificity to you and kind of where do people get lost in that because you know i hear all this stuff that you guys are saying but i'm wondering uh when are you guys going to take you know like loaded footballs and throw them and all that good stuff <laughs> and be sports specific <laughs> yeah. well, uh,
2: uh, go ahead Scott. So I, I think to me, s- sports specific means, are we getting transfer mm-hmm. to the sport? You know, that that's what it means to me. So, you know, when, when you say sports specific, a lot of people are going to picture like trying to simulate the exact movements they do on the field, you know, but to me, it really means, are, are we getting transfer now? You can get transfer a variety of different ways and it depends kind of on what the athlete needs once again right like for for a freshman lineman you're the most transfer you can get might be from a heavy back squat or something because that's what they it just so happens that they need you know and as you progress through your career and their levels of gpp and levels of of more general qualities, maximal strength, et cetera, get higher and higher. um, Maybe you get less bang for your buck um, in those areas. And then I think the next thing um, that, that people miss is not necessarily trying to mimic the movements, but mimic the environment or the perception uh, or or the thing, the the things that they have to react to or the cues and the things that they have to see and the field that's to me that's specificity. So if you've worked on change of direction or if you've worked on linear speed, um, incorporating those things into environments rich in perception and situations that they may see um, on the field, um, to me that's that's specific and that's getting transfer rather than just like strapping a bunch of bands to a guy and telling him to do exactly what he's going to do at his position. Because once again, there's the inverse relationship between overload and specificity. So the more specific I get, the less I can overload it. But in order to get adaptation, in order to stimulate, I need to overload. Right. So, I mean, here and there, we we may do a quote unquote, uh, sports specific drill, but again, really most of the time I'm asking myself, What can I get transfer from? And a lot of times I can get the best transfer from heavily loaded movements or or something that may be considered more general.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we're all um, playing with Scott. Um, I would say that for the most part, um, while we're going to see a lot of transfer um, early in the athlete's career from just absolute strength and then – uh, strength, speed, speed, strength. Those things are, d- with, without a doubt, going to make a more robust athlete that's going to transfer them being a more well rounded athlete um, and a, just a better athlete all around. But in terms of direct transfer, you can't um, automatically assume that because an offensive lineman's squat went up, that he'll also be a better pass blocker. Um, that, that just is just not there. That being said, um, what I'd say. Uh, for us as strength coaches, I'd say for what we do in the weight room with the guys, it falls somewhere in the gray area between, uh, in Bonnerchuk's model, we those exercises would fall somewhere between general preparatory exercises and special preparatory exercises,
1: mm-hmm.
0: where the more um, specific side of what we can do as strength coaches, physical preparation coaches, is uh, what we do on the field, and mm-hmm. you know that that goes from energy system development to speed development, those things start to become more specific. And then you can become even more specific with some of the things that Scott does um, over there at tech, um, you know, with some of his reactive change of direction work. Um, You know, that's in my, my honest opinion, that's about as specific as we can get because, you know, truth be told, a receiver gets better at running routes by running routes and an offensive lineman gets better at blocking by block defensive linemen get better at being defensive linemen going against offensive linemen, not running over bags, not just running around hoops. Um, that's, that's just the, the truth in the matter. So um, there's definitely uh, a lot of things that, even when you look at sport practice, no matter what sport you're looking at, um, that you can look at and you can truthfully say in what way, shape, or form does that drill make that defensive lineman a better defensive lineman or a better receiver, (laughs) so on and so forth. So to me, um, again, in the Bondarchuk model, practice truly is the special developmental exercise and the competition exercise chopped up into um, you know different forms, whether we're talking one-on-one, seven-on-seven, or team, um, but it all has to go back to uh, performance. So you have to mm-hmm. truthfully be able to look at something and say, how does this make this athlete better? And if it's not um, in that line of thought where it's actually making a uh, running back a better running back, mm-hmm. then it's probably junk volume. It's probably just more volume added to the training load that makes mm-hmm. more fatigue that could have been used elsewhere that actually made the kid better mm-hmm. so that, that's kind of um I, I guess i guess my uh my thought process there's what we do in the weight room is is gpe to SPE, and what we mm-hmm. do on the field starts to become a little bit more specific but specificity is sport practice and sport practice is king
2: can... i 100 percent agree with brett you know i think <clears throat> well, one thing, you know, that, that we, we try to do or I try to do is use the sport and watching the sport and going to position meetings and watching film and stuff to kind of guide what we are doing in that in that general realm and that in that, you know, as Brett was saying um, in the weight room, you know, so like an example would be maybe like you have a receiver that has trouble He takes too many steps in and out of his break because he can't slow down, but we know he's got to work on his decelerative ability, right? Well, I can do that by getting him stronger eccentrically, or I can work on, you know, deceleration movements. Now, those are general movements, but that's an example of where that would have specific transfer to something he's doing uh, in in his position in his sport.
1: I really like that. You guys have both crushed my dreams because I've been running around hoops with an oxygen deprivation mask trying to get to the NFL. So now I don't think that's going to (laughs) happen. You guys talked about, like, Coach Brett. you you said it. I I love what you just said about the junk volume. How do you work the energy system and energy system training out on as far as conditioning without adding a bunch of junk volume that's going to tax the CNS but still get your athletes prepared for camping, for the season, you know?
0: Um, I mean, I I try my best to follow a a Charlie Francis high-low model. I try to dump my highs into the same bucket and my lows into the same bucket. So, you know, a very general example would be days that we, you know, pull from the floor, load the spine in the weight room with – our high intensive sprint workouts or our high intensive change of direction sessions and, um, our more, um, capacity related days, um, tempo runs, et cetera, uh, consolidating those stressors with upper body lifts. But for me, I, again, it goes back to, you know, what the, the end goal is. So if we're talking about, um, summer training and periodizing, our conditioning for what we know sport practice will be instead of wasting my, my time, um, making guys, uh, bear crawl around hoops uh, to make them tougher. um, (laughs) I'm going to use that as opposed to creating more volume that doesn't make us better. I'm going to spend that time on volume that is specific to making the kids better. So instead of just, I guess, Um, it's not wasting training time on things that don't matter in the big picture. Mm
2: -hmm. I think for us, you know, one, one thing about that, that I really think of when I think of reducing, reducing junk volume is, is so in an air raid offense, like that's in, like we're in the, the skill players obviously have very high volumes of running. So I think a lot of times, they need to run. But the linemen, um, in order to really adapt to maximal strength stimuli and get as big and as strong as we want them to be, you know, a lot of times you can run that right out of them. And if you really look at what they're doing at their position, their running volumes obviously are, are much lower. So but what we try to do is, energy system wise, like one day a week, when we send the skill guys out to run, the linemen will stay in and do work capacity circuits or punch heavy bags or stuff where if you were to look at the heart rate uh, adaptations, uh, it's going to look very similar to what they would be doing. You know whatever we're we're trying to target from a running workout, but by having them do stuff that doesn't require thousands and thousands of yards of running, we're sparing them um, some adaptive a- adaptive resources for stuff that's going to be more beneficial or important to them, such as getting bigger, getting stronger, etc.
1: Now, yep, no doubt. Now with that, you know, and this is this is something that I guess when I was younger I kind of struggled with, but now I don't. But how do you guys? How do you guys set a culture and build a culture in the, you know, with the traditional thing being, oh, you have to have to run until they puke. How, you know, you have to, you have to do fail sets all the time. How do you build a culture while, or how have you guys built cultures while being rooted in science? You know?
0: I mean, to me, I think um, your culture is what you make it out to be. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be this, Painted picture of, of what you think a culture has to be because of that's what you saw on uh, strength performance you know network. Uh, to me, uh, my culture is basically doing things the right way and doing it again. Mm. And um, I'm we're still going to challenge the kids and there's definitely some some more adverse moments and uh, conditioning where the kids are pushed, but the kids know end all be all that. Um, I've got their back, and there's there's a method behind my madness. I'm not just making them do it, just to make it hard. Uh-huh. They know that there's a reason behind it. They know that um, I have their best interest, and I have their back. And I hope then is that they have my back by going out there and giving me their all. If they don't give me their all, then that's that's where things can you know can take another turn. But <laughs> more times than not, that's that's not the the picture that gets painted for me because of the fact that. The kids, kids trust me and I trust them. Right. I I, I think, I mean, I completely agree. I
2: completely agree with coach Brett. You know, I think when, when football coaches come out and watch your workout, they want to see effort and they want to see competition right now, how you package that effort and that competition is up to you. You're the expert, right? So to me, we can either push them and have them compete at things like fighting over a bone. Or, you know, things that have nothing to do with what they're trying to do, or we can have them compete at things that is actually going to get them ready to play football. So, for example, you know, the, the reactive agility drills that, that that we've kind of touched on, you know, we'll, we'll belt them together and try to have one guy break the belt and one guy not let the belt break or or will put flags on them like, like you would have in in flag football and the defensive player has to pull the flag and the offensive player has to not let the flag get pulled. And it may sound like, like, uh, like, like playground stuff or like games, but they're competing their ass off because there's a winner and there's a loser, you know? And then depending on how you manipulate the work rest ratios, you know, they're sweating their ass off and they're, and they're working. You know, and then when the football coaches come out there and see that, they they love it because number one, the kids are working. Number two, the kids are competing. And number three, it looks like football to them, you know? And then the next thing is mental toughness to me is, is consistency like coach Brett hit on, we're going to do it right. And then we're going to do it again. You know, that's, that's toughness showing up every day, listening, giving effort, um, whether you feel like it or not, that's toughest. You know, anybody can can grit through a uh, you know, lactic workout here and there, but can you do it every single day? Can you do what's asked of you to the best of your ability? Um, that's really mental toughness. And then the other definition of mental toughness that I really like is from Cal rugby that I, and I know coach Brett um, <clears throat> knows those coaches as well, but their definition of mental toughness was the ability to focus on the next most important thing. So in those adverse situations that coach Brett touched on, I, I'm, I'm preaching, focus on what's next, focus on what's next, right? Don't dwell in the sucks, you know, uh, I got hoed, or this is stupid, (laughs) what's next, what's next, what's next, right? And in the game, I've yet to see a football game where everything went right for you. You know, something's going to screw up at some point, and your ability to forget about it and move on is what's going to determine how mentally tough you are. So, I mean, that's my two cents on
0: on the topic. Play the next play. Yeah.
1: I like that a lot. I, I, I really, you know... The thing I really admire about you guys is you guys are sound in your science, but you are just savages in the way you go about implementing it. And it's it's real awesome to to see. I love our group text. Our group text might be the best group text in America. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah. it's the Johnny Bravo gifts. <laughs> <a no> <laughs> see, I, I never realized I
2: looked like Johnny Bravo until Coach Brett pointed that out to me. And now I fully embrace it. GQ model
0: meets strength coach.
1: 100%. My last question, because I don't want to keep you guys forever. I know you guys are busy, but you've both been, you know, at the power five level, and you've both been at the quote unquote smaller school, whatever that means. But what do you think the main difference is, from maybe an operations standpoint, between the two, or maybe a, a I'm guessing there's not really a big coaching difference, but the operations standpoint, what do you guys think the main differences are? The differences you guys have seen that maybe not everyone would expect.
2: Number of people, you know, I mean, I I wouldn't trade my experience coming up at the FCS level for anything because it made me, it, it put me on the fast track to being a better coach you know, and I think that's what a lot of these guys suffer now when they go straight to a huge school and they only intern with football and they they see us with all these things at our disposal. You know, it's a jaded perspective of what's really going on. You know, some of my favorite days as a strength coach are still myself and, and my first mentor, Gary Uribe, who's the head guy at San Jose State right now, the two of us at Sac State doing it by ourselves, coaching our ass off. And and that was it. You know, now here with, you know, 10 bodies on the floor overseeing these athletes. Now, of course, five of them are coaching and five of them are silent spotting for safety um (laughs) very well put but 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 there's there's so many eyes right there's so many eyes and you know and i think you get spoiled kind of in that environment like you know i remember the days of running up and down and 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 all that man And and that makes you such a better coach in my opinion i wish everyone i wish everyone could have that experience because it makes you appreciate the higher levels so much more
0: yeah, I mean a, a huge piece of going with that, are the the guys that go straight to football-only jobs that have never had an experience, um, things going wrong on them, and how they, um, you know, prescribe their programming, because there's there's not a coach out there that has made a mistake. If you've never made a mistake as a coach, please find my information online, email me, <laughs> call me and, and, and tell me tell me how to do it right, because. Um, especially when you're younger, you're gonna you're gonna have a, a harder ego, and you're gonna want to push the envelope in different directions, and you're gonna make mistakes, and you're gonna learn from those mistakes that are gonna make you a better coach. And it's probably best that you learn to do that. You know, when you're a younger coach, um, working in smaller environments, less high stakes environments, then um, your first opportunity to program for a division one football team being the first time you've had an opportunity to program for anyone. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that that's a a huge, um, you know, piece of the picture that gets um, completely left out. And again, Saul Wasser and myself both had opportunities to, and while I was a graduate assistant, I, I was an assistant to football. I had a program for baseball, softball. Then while I was a coordinator, I oversaw volleyball, beach volleyball, Tennis still had the the other sport responsibilities. I mean, everywhere I've been <clears throat> up until more recently, you know, I had more sports than football, and I've had an opportunity to to learn about the process um, and understanding that organized training is of the utmost importance. Uh, so, I think. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I think that's a a big piece that's that's missed when the young coaches immediately want to uh, jump into a you know their first power five um, football only job that's the only job they right. want
2: well when you know, you're in that situation and it's sink or swim and there's really no one there to help you you know so for kids acting up or being you know uh defiant you you have to learn how to handle that. If something goes wrong with the program, you have to learn how to handle that. Now, you know, if one of our GAs or interns screws up, you know, uh, I'm going to come swooping in to save him, mm-hmm. right? Because as Brett said, the stakes are high, right? We can't just afford to let them sink or swim, right? But like when you're in a smaller s- scenario, you're, the, you're it. <laughs> right so you have to deal learn to deal with a lot of things and there's no big brother there to come and save you
1: yeah that's that's awesome that's that's i've actually never never heard it like that that's it's pretty awakening uh statement from both of you guys i really appreciate that and i appreciate you guys being on on the show and i appreciate you guys spending your time on monday afternoon to take the time out and talk to me about a few things and Honestly, I feel like I've learned more than I'd, I thought I was going to learn coming in and just interviewing you guys about this on this podcast. This is awesome. This is like our, our, uh, our group chat coming to real life. <laughs> no, <Don. laughs> yeah, thanks, for,
2: thanks for having us on, man. Uh,
1: yeah, I appreciate me.
0: you, Don, and more than welcome to do it again. Um, I, I got one thing I want to say before you, you go us off the air, though, Don. Yes, sir. I just want to uh, give a shout-out to, uh, to my staff. Uh, Eric Murphy, Georgie Kamizu, Elden Crockerin, Clark Oren, and Marissa Sanchez. Um, these uh, young coaches—they—they uh, they work their tails off and do a great job for me and the teams they work with. And there's a lot of young coaches that don't get the uh, don't get these uh, the moral support that they need. And these these kids are doing a great job, and they're they, they work great for me, and they're they're doing it the right way. And, continue continuing to push the envelope, and I just want to let them know I appreciate them.
1: That's awesome, Coach, Coach
0: Brett. You know that's
2: that's awful cool of you, but are they going to be upset when you go to the Browns next year and you hire
0: me instead of them? <laughs> yeah. Are they going to hey. be offended by that or what? Hey, you and Lou in 48 hours, both will now.
1: Yo, man, what are we what are we doing up in Cleveland? What's going on up there? Need to bring LeBron back. That's what we need to do. We need to be LeBron back. I've been saying that.
2: You guys know what my favorite thing about
1: Cleveland is? Is the movie Major League.
2: Whenever I I hear any of you guys talk about anything, you know, or text anything pertaining to back home, it always reminds me of of Major League, which is, like, my all-time favorite movie, so.
1: Have you become a Lakers fan now? Have you switched off from uh the Golden Hell State? No. <laughs> no, dude, yeah.
2: But I will say this is this 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 is the this is our swan song. I think, you know, we got one more dominant year in us and then I think guys are gonna start going their separate ways. So, you know, I'm gonna enjoy it while it lasts.
1: I think four years from now, LeBron goes back to the Cavs, his son goes on the team, and the Cavs become a dominating force again. <laughs> I said it. I said it. I stand by it. <laughs> I hope so. Well, hey, I appreciate you guys, man. Thanks for being on. I've, I really do appreciate it. And we definitely got to do this again.
2: Anytime, Don. All right. All right. Don, I appreciate
1: you. Anytime. See you guys. Guys, that was Scott Salswasser and Brett Huth. And, uh, you know, great guys, great impacts in my life. Like I said, we, we're a group chat that's, again, the best group chat in the nation. So. You know, you can look up their information. It's gonna be on Texas Tech's website or on University Incarnate World's website. Definitely get to know these guys. They're they're great, humble guys that are willing to talk to anyone, willing to reach out and help anyone out. So they've helped me out a ton in my life and I'm sure anyone that contacts them they would help them out as well. I appreciate you guys listening to our second episode of Men of Strength Sports Performance Podcast. You can find us on EliteFTS.com. We're now on iTunes. Thanks to my man, Colin Lacey. Shout out. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I really think this is an important thing. Like I said, we're going to be keep on putting out information that's going to help impact other people. And the purpose of this, the purpose of my life is to impact. So that's what I'm going to do. Thanks, guys.